0: Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Well, my friends, welcome back to the old podcast. We are jumping in today, myself and my perennial perennial co-host, Ms. Laura Hashimov. Laura, we're going to jump into chapter two today. Are we ready for chapter two?
1: Ready for chapter two of How to Be Unlucky by Joshua Gibbs. How to
0: Be Unlucky, Joshua Gibbs. Uh, This chapter opens with, more or less, Gibbs reflecting on, well, he talks about how he started to get sick in different seasons of his life as he uh got a bit older, and uh, and he talks about how, (laughs) it's not really clear what the sickness is, but he just starts to feel like uh, he might die. (laughs) And he has like heart murmurs Uh and, and he's a teacher. And so he's like, it always hits him in the summer. (laughs) Right. Yeah. As it does all of us. Yes. Um, But this kind of dovetails and leads him to reflect with his boy Boethius on like, what really matters? Like what is happening? I'm going to die someday. And this like memento mori kind of opening. He finds great sort of, I don't know, comfort, but he, he finds sort of resonance with Boethius Who, as you used to teach, Mm -hmm. um, is this great sort of philosopher, statesman, Mm -hmm. uh, who is imprisoned wrongly and unto death, like he's Mm going to die in prison, actually, in real historical life. Mm -hmm. And Boethius, in the Consolation of Philosophy, uh, begins to meditate on that reality, amongst other things, but begins to reflect on his own death. And Gibbs, this is chapter two. Gibbs is like death. Yeah, let's go. Starting strong. Starting strong. Yeah. Um. First of all, when you get sick, do you do you catastrophize like like our boy here is doing? Because he
1: no. <laughs> but I I've it's actually just, no. I, I've uh, no. I've heard that from a number of men in my life. Ooh. So I don't know if Make that's the just a me comment, thing, a male Laura? thing. I don't know. But I know a number of people who uh, of men in my life who self proclaimed when they get sick, they're like. It's all over. It's happening. Why are we so weak? Yeah. <laughs> and I think maybe women live with more of a sense of that on the day to day, but that's, I don't know. Maybe just these are more hot takes. I don't low. know. <laughs>
0: oh, man. Constant <laughs> sense of pain and agony <laughs> that just becomes uh, normal, et cetera. I don't know. All right. That's so dark. maybe Gibbs, like myself, uh, when he gets a little sicky sick, is like, the world is going to end.
1: I think I get that way, uh, you know, around birthdays or whatever. You're sort of like, death is coming. Death is coming. <laughs>
0: Had birthdays you think about that yeah you know, i think when i you get hit the sniffles, 30 you
1: hit 35 you're like it's coming
0: i don't even remember 35 it's crazy ancient <laughs> ancient um okay so it begins to and he gives i think is either my age or a little bit younger
1: yeah i think so okay actually i don't know
0: which is interesting he's kind of writing this as he's experiencing it right mm-hmm. he's not like a 65 year old man reflecting back on how he thought like he's he's kind of thinking this live, right, in some ways. He's writing about his profession, he's writing about like uh, what his summers are like, right? He's writing right. about um, his life as it is unfolding, but from a vantage point of having sort of committed to growing and maturing in, in what he talked about in the very first chapter, which is goodness, that this life matters, that the way we live this life matters, and sometimes that is only brought home to us when we reflect on the fact that, spoilers, we are gonna die, right? <laughs> right,
1: yeah, uh-huh. And then he starts to wonder and think through what sort of music would I want to be would be of value to me after I died, right? Like do I want to be listening to New Order or do I want to be listening to Rachmaninoff? Enough? which which will do me some service upon my death
0: <laughs> yeah super intense well and so his whole thing is like he was sort of obsessed with pop music uh, yes and he says like at the age of 12 he like falls for pop music he just can't even believe what's happening and then is like i don't know 15 20 years he's just like obsessed
1: an unbelievable amount of music
0: an unbelievable i've never thousands and thousands of records he's, you know what my CDs. thought was what
1: must have a wonderful wife Oh. To uh, ten, like to have thousands of CDs.
0: It does play like that, huh? This is She, like she this must really have, and, kind and like
1: and then subject. when we moved across the country, <laughs> I was like, and you let him take the CDs. And you let him take the CDs. So she's yeah, that's a, that's a kind woman
0: It is interesting. We were talking about this right before we jumped on the record button here. Um I was like, let's just skip that section. It's a huge section in the chapter it is. where he details his like quest, his insatiable desire for more music. <laughs>
1: But yeah, what does it have to do with death?
0: So he, he begins with the place of, okay, at this time every year I get sick. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I get sick in this way, I think about the fact that I'm going to die. And then that leads me to think about, and this is sort of like the stoic old vibe, right? Mm-hmm. This is the Boethian, but also like contemporary, like we have to face our death. Memento mori, don't forget to die Caesar, right? Like don't get out over your skis. You're always just a few moments away from death. So death, I think then sends him to think about the nature of his desires. How is he actually living mm. his life? Cause he has that really interesting part when he's sick where it's like desire leaves him. He's yeah. like desire for food, desire for sex, desire for all these things he normally yeah. is distracted by. Is this weird like reprieve when you're sick, you're just like, oh, I don't want anything.
1: I can relate to that. Yeah. So that
0: is a weird experience in life, which is normally driven by desires or at least battling with desires. And sickness is like this strange sort of death within life where Mm -hmm. you have desires that normally are constantly with you. um, Yeah. Just suspended. Mm -hmm. And that is weird, right? That is like a weird way of experiencing life. And that's why I think, especially for the guys... (laughs) our weak constitutions um it really is like i don't care i don't want to do anything everything's over it doesn't matter like i'm basically dying Mm -hmm. right but that idea of the absence of desire suddenly like making him reflect on it Mm -hmm. and how much it dominates our lives and then that leads him to being like You want to hear how desire used to dominate my life? Well, here's a story about my insane collection of CDs that I amassed through this weird scheme of tricking a used book retailer or something reselling the old used books.
1: For people who don't read it, 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 the book, it's a wild, uh, he bought books at the Goodwill for nothing nothing and then sold them to a place that would buy used books for something And then he used those gift cards to buy all the CDs in the world. All the
0: CDs in the whole world. (laughs) And it's so true. He like hacks the code. He's like textbooks. He figures out what scans in the store he's selling to. And he just looks for those things. And he just starts making, I don't know how much money he made. If he says it had to be a lot, it's thousands and thousands of dollars that were not real bucks that were like just a scam kind of thing. But it's like a legal scam. Okay. So he goes on and on about that. And i I remember thinking like man, I've never I, okay, I could relate to that in the sense that i like I used to be like an insatiable collector, mm-hmm. right, like a, like baseball cards, sports cards, oh like wow, that. yeah, like to the point of when I was in high school, now he's talking about me, he's a little bit older, I'm not trying to throw shade, I'm just saying when I was in high school, I used to actively steal cards. Well. and <laughs> this is a bad, really bad thing. But I was like, it was such a, like I had this need to have this, to cultivate this great collection that I like would, I got into this really bad habit of like thieving and I would go to like these, we'd go to these trade shows with all these like, like sports car guys yeah. and stuff. And my buddies would like, would throw screens and stuff and we'd be wearing parka jackets because this wow. is back east. I had this big 49ers jacket. And I would like take like $150 cards in like cl- plastic, giant, thick cases off of tables into my jacket. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time, I hope my parents don't, I don't think my parents listen to this. <laughs> but uh, I remember this one time, uh, I had stolen a grip of cards, and so had a few of my buddies. And we were like leaving the place, we were walking outside, It's like still snow, slush on the ground, salt, all the nasty sort of New England weather stuff. And we we're like tramping through or whatever, just walking up the sidewalk. And police were called on us and we ran we oh ran my. and my buddy oh man um i almost named him my buddy got caught like got didn't oh. run fast enough oh and you left him run behind. so far <laughs> yeah and i and we ran so far away and uh the rest of us got away and he did not get away and i felt horrible because he was like the nicest of our friends
1: Oh, the one who shouldn't have been there the is always the case there. And i
0: don't even know if he took anything right you he know what i mean like maybe he, he did but he was with us and yeah i've uh, anyways so i had to like really work out the fact that i was like a genuine klepto like wow. but it was driven by an insatiable desire for like collecting mm-hmm. and like for having a great collection having like value valuable like things which now i'm like oh my gosh um Okay, so I, I can't really talk that much hate on Gibbs being obsessed with pop music, but <laughs> um, but it is weird to think of seasons in your life in which you were so driven by a desire, especially yes. which in retrospect is ridiculous, mm-hmm. um, but which was like dominant in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's why he goes there and takes so much time telling that story. It's like also <laughs> this mm-hmm. huge season of my life is completely dominated by this particular desire and his desire is not like bad. it's not he's not stealing or anything he's like enjoying music but thinking about the fact that man i'm a mortal being and i'm gonna die someday like is this for anything what is this for does this mm-hmm. desire uh yield or match whatever life is meant to be sort of valued at or what what is this doing if anything mm-hmm. Um so I think that is a useful way of reflection like that idea and it's a classic idea of philosophy philosophy I think Montaigne says um is about dying well preparing to die wow right that that's what it is like the reflection the reflective I don't think bears have to like think about how they die or whatever I think animals experience things differently but having reflective consciousness is like will I live a life and will I die well? Like, will I live a life that makes sense uh, in light of the fact that I'm going to die and I'm Mm. aware of that. So I don't think it's like super morbid. I think it just casts him back to thinking about how he lives and on what basis he lives. And that just brings up the subject of desire. Mm, mm -hmm, Um, What do you, what did you think of that section? Which is just like, this is just Looney Tunes. like.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, one, one thing I appreciate about Gibbs is he's always using personal examples in any of his books or lessons or videos. He, he because he is a teacher, right? Yeah. Um, speaking of death, you might be able to hear the sirens in the background right now. know oh, is that for um, us? <laughs> the bell tolls for thee. Oh, my
0: gosh. John Donne, emergent Occasions. <laughs>
1: um, but, yeah, so I, I appreciate that about Gibbs is he uses these personal experiences to try to explain concepts uh, to his students at a level they can understand. Yeah. Um, so I really, I appreciate that um, he goes to a, an extreme that I can't relate to personally, but the, the same desire is there, like. Yeah, we all have those things in our life that we've sort of obsessed over and assumed, um, yeah, that we could attain some sort of long lasting. And, and, you know, he talks a bit about consuming all this music as sort of a way to get him closer to something like and, and the belief that if I just read one more book or see one more film or have one more date, like that will be I will get it. Um, and so I appreciate that sort of part of his his message there and the way that it's like, well, what are we actually, what are you reaching for? What are you trying to avoid? Um, what are you trying to gain? Yeah, and, and so um, I appreciated that and then I appreciated um, his sort of discussion in the first part about death and when we die, we die as ourselves. Mm. Uh, yeah, and like sort of the whatever we we bring with us or won't bring with us on that day yeah
0: i feel like and that's that's right i feel like he's okay he's obviously not protestant anymore so he's constantly and i think most of his students are it sounds like right just like most of our Um, students yeah i don't know um because the way he talks about it I think it's like a regular thing he's pushing against, right? Mm. Um, the good works thing from the first chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in this chapter, I think in part, he's pushing on the fact that like, when you die, it's still you. Mm-hmm. And I think there is at least a vibe in like evangelical land that like when you die, it's just, um, it's like a magical moment of transformation in an instant. It doesn't really matter how you lived. You were justified by faith, not how you lived. And so it's sort of a, a, just a wash and you're immediately in the good place and everything's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. And I think it's super helpful and true that he's like, no, like w- you die, it's still you. It's, it, there isn't some generic self, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like it's the person who is like trying to walk out all of these things Dealing with these desires, hopefully repenting and purging yourself of the ones that were of, you know, the flesh or that were causing you to sin or whatever it may be. Um, But that there isn't just like this magical reset because I die to go to heaven. Yeah. And that there is a continuity of like your soul is still your soul. And 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 he mentions Jesus parable in Luke 16. And he's like, you know, fair play. It's not like a documentary of the afterlife, but it is like. In in hell, uh, the rich man is still the rich man, Mm -hmm. and he still is asking someone to serve him. And Lazarus, the poor man, is still Lazarus, the poor man. Mm -hmm. And so it's like that; like they're recognizably themselves, and they they have the same set of sort of impulses or or kind of the nature that they had when they were alive. Mm -hmm. I think that is a very sobering thought. That like I was talking to the kids today; we were just starting Dante's Purgatorio. And, you know, most Protestants are like, purgatory is not a real place. Um, But the concept is, of course, true, right? That, like, we have to be purged of our sin to be made ready to be in the presence of God. Hmm. And your sin and my sin are not the same. Like, we're not not at the same place in our holiness or our godliness or our Christ-likeness. But we have to have those things worked out of us. And maybe it'll be a a magical sort of divine lobotomy of what Mm -hmm. we are to suddenly be that person. But the idea at least, um, that we need to be purified. Uh, I just tell usually the Protestants like then purgatory is now, right? Then, mm. then what we're living right now is this ascent to holiness, right? We're supposed to be growing in holiness and yeah. obedience, Christ-likeness, purging our desires. So if we just looked at it, this life, Christ expects us to be maturing, to grow in all these different ways. Mm-hmm. But I think you can't really grow. I think Gibbs is at least saying if you don't interrogate your desires, And, like, their power and their direction, like, Mm -hmm. where they're pointing you and Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, Now, again, with our first chapter, and the reason I thought this book was worth talking about, is I really do feel like most people get across that line of I believe. Yeah. And then they kind of stop interrogating a lot of things unless it gets to a crisis.
1: Yeah. Um, I was just talking to a student today about that um, and offering the encouragement that, because they have a lot of questions, And uh, about Christianity and sort of encouraging that you're allowed, you can bring your questions and you can still ask them after, like just because you're in quote unquote, the faith doesn't mean that you now have no more questions or no doubts or no uncertainties, like, because you don't have a quote unquote peace about it. That doesn't, that's not a sign that something's wrong. Like you can bring the questions and continue to pursue them for years and years to come. And it might even be the case in heaven that we get to pursue those questions there too. And that we get to continue to progress and grow in our knowledge, not necessarily that we arrive at heaven's gates and suddenly we have every answer and we have, um, everything is clear. Like maybe that's a progressive thing we do together with the Lord for eternity. Hmm. And I don't know, I've never been, but, uh, that's a more compelling case to me than, than the lobotomy of like, like if you're a naturally curious person, I think in heaven, you'll get to continue to be curious, um, yeah, and if you're artistic, you'll get to be artistic. Like, I don't... I, I, well, wh- this is
0: why heaven is such a, usually a dull concept for most people. Right. It's like, we think we've just arrived in whatever arriving means, and there's no growth.
1: Yeah, but like, right. no, as so we get to grow with the Lord, we get to walk with him, like in the Garden of Eden, and and continue in that, like in knowing him through how he, through his creation. So. And
0: that's why I think, so if... Gibbs is, like, kind of making this argument for continuity, right? Like, well, whatever you're up to now, like, really has a lot of bearing on whatever you're up to next, right? And that the person you are now is not, you know, going to be just sort of replaced by a symbiote (laughs) or something. (laughs) Yeah, I do. uh, to heaven.
1: Yeah, I don't know to what degree I can, like, fully jump on board with some of the things he's saying. And, And I was trying to kind of read between the lines and piece together what he is saying about, like... When you, when you die and get to heaven and all these things. So I'm not necessarily all in on his claims, but I do think there, there is this element of like assuming, uh, we will just naturally become the sort of person we want to become without putting in any effort. And it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. And so part of that effort or that Pilgrim's Progress, which, you know, even Bunyan, right? The, like an ultimate Protestant, is like yeah, you your burden is dropped at the foot of the cross, and then you begin your journey, right? And that journey is crazy, doubting castle, like all the things you're talking about. Right. Like it's it's incredibly complex. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with like pur- purging yourself of the wrong desires and learning how to trust the Lord and growing and maturing in the faith and things like this. Growing in godliness. My pastor uh, John Hollowell has been guiding us through uh the pastoral epistles and just the refrain again and again paul's just like you just need to pursue godliness Mm -hmm. like godliness 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 like train yourself in godliness whatever you do like please yeah um this is like the imperative of the christian life so it does require us to be aware of our desires and Mm -hmm. where they are placed well where they are misplaced Um, he does say some encouraging things, which I think are true, which are, you can like starve out a desire, like, especially, you know, in, in the high schoolers always help. I think, uh, us see ourselves in some ways right like when you see someone else be like oh my gosh it's the end of the world i can't believe Mm -hmm. she didn't dance with me or whatever you know Mm -hmm. you're like oh child you know it's gonna be fine (laughs) it'll be fine you know it'll be fine Mm -hmm. right because you know it's not the end of the world you know that everything's gonna be that, that that there's a way of seeing things that changes over time i told the kids today like there are desires that you know maybe would have wrestled with in my in my younger years that are completely not there anymore Mm -hmm. and it was like amazing it's like oh Mm -hmm. it's not even like on my radar yeah and like that's the miracle and the blessing of the lord that your desires don't always persist at the same like level and intensity god you know there's like tremendous hope so i love the idea of like being able, and this is what we did last year when we talked about glittering vices, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, give me a grammar by which I can look at myself with a little more accuracy, yeah. but also like with hope, like mm-hmm. when you're like, oh, this is this is something. It's not like this is just me, or this is, I can't escape this. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this thing over here, and I can feed that desire or I can starve right. that desire. Yeah that seemed to be extremely helpful. Um, what is most valuable, I think, in both of our reading of this chapter is when he moves to talking about how habits and everything, how, how you actually live this practical, it's you and how you're living now is the thing that matters. Um, how we have this way of thinking about, well, when things change, then I'll be such and so which is kind of like the lobotomy idea too right Mm -hmm. it's like well this is the hardest season that's ever existed in all of life the one i'm in right now Mm -hmm. and so when i'm out of this season i will be able to really read my bible every morning Mm -hmm. right he has a great section on that and how we like constantly play this game of like we should read it all right yeah i'm just gonna i'm gonna read i'm gonna read a little passage um he says it this way he says oh he starts with this and i gotta say as a guy like this oh man and guys struggle with maturing in such incredible ways i mean this is like a real challenge i think that's why i've been so drawn to this book is like on behalf of like men (laughs) men in the need sorry men in the need to grow up most men use promises of great change he says in the future to justify their present vices and immaturity. My students regularly tell me that they rarely read their Bibles and do not often pray, but that they have sworn to themselves that they will do both pious tasks with great zeal once they move away for college. Teenage boys lie to their mothers to get what they want, but tell themselves they would never lie to their wives. College students promise themselves they will not drink so much in the future or that they will not need pornography once they are married. Married women swear they will read the Bible more to their children than they read it for themselves. Even if they cannot tend to their own souls properly, they will properly tend to the souls of their children. In brief, many people behave as though the stage of life they are currently in is the hardest, most complex, and demanding stage of life there is. The contradictions and demands of the present stage make it difficult to pursue to pursue virtue now.
1: Whew. Man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, that tracks, right?
1: Well, he, I do. I mean, here's one thing I do have to say is I, I've actually never met somebody who's like, I'll worry about that later. Have you met people who do that? I think I we... Worry about it later? Or like, I'll deal with prayer and reading my Bible later. I, I've oh, I see what you're saying. Verbalize no,
0: it. No, no, not verbalize it. it Maybe to our own souls.
1: Yeah, internal. I definitely know people who are internally acting that way. But what I do love is that, yeah, realizing that we are those people we uh, are treating this current stage of life like it is oh you the most difficult you don't understand you don't understand like i if you only knew, if you only knew. um in my dear sweet lovely senior students are doing this right now they're like college apps can't do anything else college apps right. you don't understand it's the hardest season it's this is this is the hardest thing i will ever go through and i try to i hold my tongue
0: well, and it is also like, okay, it's not even just an excuse, it's like, well, when something changes about my life, then it will make virtue, as he says, sort of more attainable. He says, the next stage in life, this is the thinking of the, of the heart, the next stage in life will be simpler, more peaceful, <laughs> and pursuing, vit- pursuing v- virtue will become easier once the next stage has been attained. Autonomy will make it easy to be good. A girlfriend will make virtue attainable. Money will make virtue attainable. Children, a career, slowly turning the page, a house with a little more room will bring righteousness near to me. But I laugh, he says. I say, you will not read your Bible more in the future. You will simply be very good at not reading your Bible. (laughs) If a man spends the first two decades of his life refining a certain skill, he will not summarily give up that ability overnight. (laughs) The boy who develops the power to deceive his mother in order to get what he wants will have no ability to be honest with his wife. The man who quickly consoles himself with liquor in college will only find additional anxieties attend the life of a husband and father. The young woman who devotes every leisure hour to her own amusement and luxury will not suddenly find delight in a demanding child. Virtue requires practice. The complacent man is not being transfigured from a lesser kind of creature to something greater. He is becoming more deeply entrenched in his current habit of being. Oof. Oof. It's (laughs) true, right?
1: It's very true. It's very true. Even thinking through, uh, you know, if I had a bigger house, I would be more hospitable, but yes. I don't have—I I don't have the room now. Right, like, right. Oh, so that's a virtue you—you ca- you can't be hospitable in a small house. Okay, you can't okay.
0: practice hospitality until
1: until as soon yeah. as you
0: as soon as you're in that realm of the until then then it yeah you're not you're 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 d- you sort of defaulting or you're you're taking yourself out of the game and the appreciation there is like well whatever you're doing you're just getting better at not doing that then yeah and that that to me is what really like 20 years in or like mm-hmm. whatever like i see my students and i'm like okay 20 plus years of yeah. thinking about how I have become whatever I've been up to <laughs> for right. t- the last 20 years. Um, that that is like a wild thing. And I think a lot of times for guys and girls, but like what happens is the next phase of life becomes unbelievably shocking and you don't feel prepared for it. And then it becomes very quickly, oh, this is the most difficult, complex, impossible phase of life. And so it's like mm-hmm. this, this eternal sort of like deferral because and this is why I really appreciate this chapter, because he talks about like if you're not actually maturing, then you're just sort of caught off guard by every new phase. Yeah. Right. It's like Shock. oh my gosh, marriage! Like what is happening? I don't know how to function with this other person, or oh my gosh, children! I don't know now what do I do? Right. Mm-hmm. Suddenly yeah. I can't be you know the way I was before, um, and and this has clearly been true of a lot of people in our I use that term loosely our generation because <laughs> um, you are younger than me quite a bit um please but it is like it does like the joke was at first oh like uh, like i'm adulting like i'm trying to it's like we're all trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to act like grown-ups and stuff like that but part of that was like life is happening and we're just always catching up to it feeling like we don't really belong in the phase we're in yeah right and have you experienced that okay so like we had talked before about your uh patience with things like getting married and like how you had to like walk that out Mm -hmm. in a certain way and not like kind of and not just jump the track on you know well like I'm running out of this kind of all my friends are this and I need to move to that like you were able to discern and wait for the Lord's will for your life now you've been married for what a few years Mm -hmm. at least Um, would you say did you feel ready to be married when you got married (laughs) no okay so <laughs> did you <laughs> kind of mm. I, I felt like yeah i, I can't mean, I guess lo- like logist- I- logistically and all that yeah it but, felt uh, like time
1: to grow up a little bit to me oh yeah 100 percent. 100 percent. yeah yeah i think there's there's always that element right of I, I was really intrigued when he was sort of talking about prepare yourself now for the thing that comes next which to what degree can we actually do that but i think there is something of like Um, in a relationship, right in a dating relationship, um, how do you sort of imagine being married to this person or how do you sort of prepare yourself for the next thing? Well, offering some sort of self-sacrifice, you know, uh, dropping off a meal at their house, like doing kind of like, what is, what is the task that in marriage, like what will marriage require of me? Um, and just sort of paying attention to them, you know asking them how they are not always waiting for them to ask you how you are like how do you sort of intentionally try to whether it's the person you're dating now or somebody you'll date in the future like if you marry them what sort of foundation are you laying of anxiety or um or control or judgment like how because because the bricks you put down there will affect your marriage and i think that's kind of similar to all the things he's talking about, like your generosity when you're making $30,000 a year probably won't change that much. If you're making 50, 60, 70, 80, like if you're, if you're 2% generous when you're making $30,000 a year, um, you're not going to suddenly become 50% generous when you're making $200,000 a year, you know? So like there's, there's just a natural progression to things like what habits and expectations are you living with now? Um, that one day won't suddenly change because the circumstances are different.
0: Well, and I think this is why I thought of how you had narrated your sort of pre married life, because Mm. what you had said, and I know it's been really helpful for a lot of our students, um, was you were talking about your commitment to people and the church and how you would... Yes. It's not, you weren't, like, just, like, holding, like, a spot and, like, oh waiting man. around.
1: Well, yeah, and, and like, the choice... I don't know if it was a... Ch- I'll just say it was the spirit of the Lord, but the choice to, like, stick to one thing for a while and to to sort of choose... Like, even before I got married, I was basically, like, this is probably the career for the rest of my life. Like, I and I could work at this place for a decade. And I see myself at this church... For a long time. Like sort of making those sort of things. So then when a person comes along, I'm not like, this is not the first time I've committed to something. Um, And I think we can have so many options in our 20s and 30s that we're like, well, I could start a whole new life tomorrow if I wanted to. And when you hold that as a high value and you do it maybe over and over again, you're like, just keep starting over then when somebody is like, spend the rest of your life with me, you're like, don't have a box for it. Hmm. Cause you're like, I've never made that sort that. of commitment. Yeah, yeah I'm, I've I'm never I'm practiced gonna. commitment before. Um, so yeah, I think that, yeah, it's just a further example of of how w- what you're doing now will just grow and evolve. You, you're, we're not static. So the investments we're putting into things now will just um, accumulate over time.
0: And one of the great lines that he says is every phase of life has its allowances. Mm -hmm. Like I'll give you a pet. You're a teenager. Like you catch someone out there, you know, smoking or whatever in the parking lot. And you're like, all right, look, we got to give you to whatever it is. But, um, but he's like, but if you want to mature, you don't like take up all the allowances of each phase, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you decide before you have to, to give up some of those allowances, mm-hmm. which is what you're talking about, making a commitment, saying, you know what? I'm not going to hop around to all these different, you know, whatever churches or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stay here. So I'm going to give up that I could. And people will be like, ah, she's in her 20s. She's just trying to figure We're it floating, out. And there's yeah. a better singles ministry over there. And that has this. And she's over there for that. But the idea is, like, before you have to choosing to mature in certain ways or choosing to grow in certain ways mm-hmm. before it's like desperately necessary, right? <laughs> like having a child is like, sorry, whatever was Man. happening before, you don't have the choice to be selfish or this can't work,
1: right? Yeah. yeah.
0: And so it's a, it's a shocking wake-up call and a lot of times uh, it's a shocking wake up call like, wow, I was really selfish in my marriage because now this mm-hmm. is what it feels like to not be able to be selfish. <laughs> and I don't have a choice anymore. Like there's no room. And and I remember feeling like, oh, my gosh, like Lisa put up with a lot of selfishness. <laughs> because if this is what selflessness is like, I haven't been practicing it well enough. Right. Yeah. This feels like a very dramatic difference. and I And so I really appreciate him saying like, man, if you really want to mature, it's not just taking whatever's allowed to you and whatever Mm -hmm. phase. Oh, you're in your twenties. Oh, you're in college. Oh, you're a high schooler. Oh, you're whatever. Oh yeah. Midlife crisis. Yeah. Oh, everybody. That's all we get it. Wink, wink. You know, like it's just hard to be whatever. Um, It's saying, oh man, I want to practice for that next. I want to practice growing before I just have to because Mm. of my responsibilities increasing and because life just requiring certain things of me. Mm -hmm. So like that idea to me is tremendously helpful thinking of, I think he says at one point, the person who wants to be mature is not just thinking of the present, but is thinking of like the responsibilities that will be ahead of them in like, you know, a few more years or something like that. And I could think of like that, you know, with our jobs, I could think of like that at the church right like a lot of churches experiences people don't necessarily do anything unless someone like asks them to do something (laughs) right you're like hey you notice the lights don't always go off um Mm -hmm. could you be the person who does that you know but like it's so amazing as a pastor when i see people being like hey i actually noticed this thing over there i'm i'm just gonna next week i'll just I'll just do that. Like I'll, I'll just help out with that thing over mm-hmm. there. And I'm like, that is awesome. Like I, it hadn't become a crisis that I heard about. Right. This person's just like, Hey, I noticed there's like a bit of a need here or like I noticed mm-hmm. the kids over here or that person's always helping with this. And I feel like they probably need a break. Is that okay if I do this next week? Yeah. I'm like, oh, Please. <laughs> the heaven's open, you know, but it's like, because it's, it's, maturity it's like attention right mm-hmm. it's like i'm looking around i'm starting to become aware of the needs of the people i'm committing to you know in this in this space and it's just like awesome it's like man no one asked you it wasn't required it wasn't like mm-hmm. we're gonna die if it doesn't happen you just were like i'm just gonna step into this a little bit and i think that could if that could be of help i'm just like oh my gosh I just love that when you see that in in your life, when someone doesn't have to do something and they begin to do it because it's good Mm -hmm. because they're just like, I was paying attention and I just noticed this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And another thing he talks about to that same end is um, the person who's like desiring maturity, desiring growth uh, will continually go to someone in the next stage of life and ask them the question, what does the devil try next? So he says here, um, the wise man knows what stage of life he is currently in, but keeps his eye on the next two stages of life. The dating man goes to the engaged man and says, what does the devil try next? The engaged man goes to the married man and says, what does the devil try next? A wise man will begin making room in his spirit for both the pains and the temptations of the next stage. And then he kind of gives an example later. He says, When the engaged man asks the married man what the devil does next, the married man replies, he tempts you to bitterness over how little time you have to yourself. And so the engaged man promptly begins giving up his free time. When maturity comes to collect the man's rights, the man has long practiced letting them go, or else has no free time to give up, and so marriage does not entail great cataclysm. (laughs) But I, I love that idea of having people in your life who you could go to in a big season and being like what am I going to be tempted with in this season what's going to come for me what what anxieties are going to be lurking you know as I go off to college uh what's the devil going to try and then you're gonna say well the devil's going to try to isolate you from Christian community and if the person's serious they'll be like okay so I will join a church as soon as I get there I'm like great perfect, perfect like so but that does require humility in thinking I don't actually know what's coming next even as much as i I think i might um and it requires the courage to ask um and yeah but it it can lead to great outcomes and even to say you know at the end of college say okay what's the devil gonna try to do in my post-grad year and it's like it's the worst time ever (laughs) (laughs) um yeah like just brace yourself you're gonna have all sorts of anxieties you're gonna apply to grad school like watch out so to have somebody in the next stage you can do that to, like ask that question, um, is really, really beautiful. And I feel like we have, uh, plans for it in certain, like usually people do a premarital counseling or something, but it really should be happening a lot more than it is.
0: When I preached at, um, at the Grace Fellowship in the summer and I, uh, used, gives his line about that you just read, um, I mean, the traction was like immediate. People are like, man, like, beca- because and I think one of the reasons it's so it's so helpful is if we often think, oh, this is the hardest season now mm-hmm. and the next one will finally have a little more breathing space. We don't usually say what what temptation is coming around the corner in that next phase we don't usually th- we think it, no that's like the blessed country where the grass <laughs> is green right like that's where everything gets a little bit easier mm-hmm. but the wisdom of being able to say what kind of temptation should i be prepping for mm-hmm. um in my spirit i think i don't remember if he quotes this but he says i think at one point like uh, the the mom who will be tempted to resent her children for Mm. like taking from her, Mm -hmm. you know, who she is and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, those are, these are the most real things in the world, but they're Mm -hmm. like deep soul things that when they're like being experienced, just guilt, shame, confusion, (laughs) rage, and you don't even want to like talk about it. You're like, I can't believe I'm feeling this or whatever it is. Like those things that I've experienced in that way, you're just like, Oh shoot, they, they're going to come for you. But as you say, man, if we had a habit of, I don't know, multi-generational community, like you've talked about with your church or I have, uh, at least with our, with our crew. Um, although there's, you know, clusters of sort of similar age people and things like that. It's, there's still like this ability to say, man, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to be faithful mm-hmm. humans. And there's lots yeah. of humans around for a long time, yeah. you know, yeah. and there's lots of people who try to walk with the Lord through all of these different mm-hmm. kinds of seasons And having someone be able to just oxygenate and be able to say, okay, well just guard yourself (laughs) from this, you know, it's like those things are like, that's so life giving. That can be like some of the most helpful things. Oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not a horrible person. I'm not isolated and alone. She told me that was going to happen. You Mm -hmm. know, like that can be incredibly freeing when it matters most.
1: We had a wonderful women's ministry dinner a few weeks ago. Um, and there was a small group of us. It was really nice. It was like nine or ten of us. And there were two expectant mothers there and two grandmothers. And it was, we were laughing and laughing because (laughs) it was, it was just sort of that, that free exchange of information, sometimes serious and sometimes just silly. And, um, of just sort of like, but what if, you know, how do you, how do I raise this child that's about to be born to have, you know, a good relationship with them, and to da <laughs> da and, and the grandmother just sort of being like, a teenager's never gonna respect you, you just gotta write it out, <laughs> like that kind of, like, real, real life, like, and obviously it was sort of an exaggeration, but like the real life experiences of, like, and even, um yeah, a mother of a teenager talking to these grandmothers and being like, how do I not get so invested in their emotional ups and downs, and then these grandmothers being like, you know, this is my advice and this is how I played to it. And this is how I, and like, that is such a blessing. Um, and y- cause you, otherwise, what are we, we're all just winging it with our peers all the time. I don't know. Like what's the other option. Um, and then we're always trying to reinvent the wheel. I don't know. It's like people have done this before. People have gone through it. People are more mature than you. There are people out there who are, uh, Farther along in their sanctification and holiness, like ask them how they got there. Ask
0: them, yeah. Find those people.
1: And then do what they do for six to eight months and months and see how that works out. Yeah. Like I, I even think of our mutual friend whose whose father did not want to become a Christian, thought his son's faith was ridiculous, and he said, I'm gonna do what a Christian does for six months to show you how ridiculous it is and then he became a Christian. <laughs> That's <such> a good <laughs> it was story. like, well yeah, when you live when you follow the example of a mature, older woman, guess what? You become a mature, older woman. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And so there's there's really no way around the hard work of it, though.
0: That's right. Yeah. But I think because, if, you know, if you've lived a little bit, you know, you know life's hard no matter what, as as we know, sufficient for the days, the trouble they're in. Mm-hmm. Like, every day is going to have the stuff. But I... I think I found that so bracing, encouraging. I think I have found that. I think of like our little men's study at our church, like six guys, different ages and phases and stages and all that stuff. And just like feeling like, okay, okay, like, I want to grow. I want to become more mature. I want to be able to be more responsible. I want to be able to be like get more godly. I I, like, I really do. And when someone starts like talking in a way that I'm like, I get that. Like I can see that when I'm, yeah. When we're here in, in our little crew, like, um, some of these guys talking about, I don't, you know, I don't know my pastor, like raising like adult age sons now and being like, well, this and this. And it's like, you know, and I'm at these two little sons and like my sweet daughter and I'm just like, oh, like, I am all ears. Like, yeah. I'm, I give me whatever it, you got. Yes, I'm like, and not just because like, oh, I feel like I'm in crisis or like that. Like, I want something good. Like mm-hmm. the desire for for a good life, that desire to be a good husband, desire to be a good father is a real desire. Like mm-hmm. sometimes if you mess up it can feel like man i'm on the defensive and i'm trying to like explain why i'm not a bad you know whatever and like it's not you know whatever and well you didn't do this and whatever but like if i'm just if i'm just in a real place an honest place like before the lord i want that more than almost anything in the world mm-hmm. and when someone is speaking into that words like down the path and i can tell oh shoot that's down the path I'm i'm on i want to be on that and they're speaking from like a little ways down like man that's all you want like as a kid growing up always wanted to hear like from the older kids you always yeah. wanted to hear from like man well what about this or i want to become more like that or that guy on the team is you know is excellent i'm a freshman and they're like a senior and i'm like man that's like the guy or whatever or even the kids here i'm just like amazed at like how interested some of them are in like asking questions of people like us and i'm yeah. like shoot like I, I, I don't know if I was like that at their age. I kind of wish I was. I probably uh, wasn't I,
1: so much. I, I don't know. I can't even remember, which is maybe part of the beauty of it. But And, and friends, I have, seen, I have seen David Woods do this. I have, when there are especially wonderful students and David Woods meets those, the parents of that child, the questions come. I've seen it. He's like, so how did you raise these wonderful <laughs> I, people? How did this happen? How did you get kids who like you and like their siblings, and it's give me the an formula, accident. and then it's he pulls out his accident. little notebook and black wing pencil, and he starts taking Let's notes, go. but it's it's a real, like, why would you not, I guess why I mean, would
0: you not, yeah why wouldn't you want a good life for your kids for your family, why wouldn't you want like, if? The, and this is a life the Lord's calling us to, it's not just like get saved and just like, hold on mm-hmm. it's like, no, I want pilgrim's progress, I want to like, <laughs> want to get we're, through the castle. And, and we're not
1: just talking about goody two-shoes church kids like we're not talking about like kids that are polished and pretty and like that's not what we're talking about we're talking about like why would we not want to grow in true goodness and joy and beauty like of course we want that but it doesn't just happen like it is a long and tedious process and and he says you know um no one wants the hassle of dealing with sin today but wishes his sin had been dealt with long ago like Uh, yeah there are things in my life where i thought well that was easy that was more easily dealt with than expected i wish i hadn't put it off for five years
0: (laughs) that's the truth yeah and that's why i think that you know circling back to the earlier part about desire and feeling overwhelmed by things we put things off because it feels like that's too much like that area of my heart is like too difficult to deal with and yet man sometimes like the lord the light of the lord the grace of the lord it can be like oh actually i'm just gonna like let me just pick that up for you it can be like a shocking thing when you actually let the lord into a place in your heart that you've maybe been like this is gonna be too much and i have too many things going on to like deal with this thing i've always been kind Mm -hmm. of like keeping in the corner there um, but man, sometimes it's like just getting light on it, getting some oxygen on it, talking to someone about it, praying about it, articulating it. It's like the Lord been like, yeah, I want to work that that through. So I'm going to help you. And, and the Lord's mm-hmm. grace and the Lord's power to be able to help you from things that otherwise really would maybe destroy you, crush you uh, feel overwhelming uh, on your own. Man, like I've been astonished sometimes at how readily the Lord will help me mm. when I'm like, I really want your help. I mm-hmm. really, really want to grow here, and I've been stuck or I've been avoiding this. Um, yeah. He's so kind and and it's always astonishing it's not like proportionate.' But like <laughs> well, this is what uh, how much yeah. I put in this is uh-huh. my, the effort I deserve you know he needs to it's always like it's always more and, and better than than my habits even you know deserve or anything like that mm-hmm. like it feels like a rocket boost to whatever I was up to just right. being just being willing. To be like lord i need help here or lord i really want to do better with this Mm -hmm. um so i I just want to encourage people because i think the whole like the meat and the heart of this chapter is maturity is good (laughs) like maturity is good yeah Um, and
1: worthy of desire
0: worthy of desire we have all sorts of different other desires but man desiring to grow to grow in godliness to grow in maturity like this is the, the quest of our whole lives, including life in the kingdom. Like mm-hmm. we're, we wanna always grow further up and further in. And right. so catching a hold of that and like maybe just getting unstuck maybe from where we might find ourselves from time to time. I hope there's something there for, for someone to be like, yeah. Or knowing that you have people in your community of faith that you could ask questions mm-hmm. like, hey, what what, mm-hmm. what is the devil <laughs> try next? Like what yeah, should I be like beautiful thinking about and getting ready for so that it doesn't take me out. Um, I find that a bracing and practical kind of way
1: forward. Yes. Yeah. It's um, very exciting.
0: Any last thoughts Laura on the, on chapitre de?
1: Um, no, I'm excited for what comes next. You know, I, I'm, I appreciate his, his writing style and, um, Of his hot takes I I love the way he puts things uh, so artistically and then sometimes so bluntly so I'm excited to see uh, what comes of our next chapter fortune luck and salvation
0: fortune luck and salvation all right my friends stay tuned and we will see you when we see you